This episode, I'm chatting to Catherine Day. Catherine has worked in the education system for 18 years. She's also the mother to a beautiful 13-year-old heart kid. It's really important to set up a transition meeting with the school, talk to the principal or the deputy, maybe a wellbeing coordinator. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that we're recording on the traditional country of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains. We pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We pass that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners. Today, we're going to be talking about starting school with your child who has CHD. Catherine brings both the parent and teacher perspectives to this conversation. Welcome, Catherine. It's lovely to have you. Where are you joining us from today? Thank you. Yes, I'm actually in Bordertown today, working here and be here overnight and tomorrow as well, then travel back to Adelaide where I live. Excellent. And so for those national listeners, Border Town is literally just about on the border between SA and Victoria, isn't it? That's right. Yes. Yeah. A nice regional area. So Catherine, I'd love to hear about your beautiful daughter, Sarah, and I'd love for the listeners to hear about your journey with being introduced to CHD. Mm -hmm. So Sarah was born with an AVSD. We found out at the 20-week scan that she had a heart condition. But she is quite a strong girl and she managed to get to two years of age, nearly three, relatively healthy before she needed to go over to Melbourne for her surgery. Which is just incredible. It's incredible. Two, almost three. She must be, that says a lot, and she's got the heart of Farlap. Yes, yeah. She was pretty amazing. They did say that her heart was about three to four sizes bigger than a regular two-year-old heart. So it was working pretty hard to keep her going at that point in time. Yeah, so we got the call up to go over to Melbourne and I think that was around the October mark and we went over, we took our family to Melbourne and our son And we waited and waited and each day it was cancelled. It was a pretty tough time because you really want your child to have this sort of life-saving surgery, but we've got to sort of understand that other children are taking precedence for a good reason. They needed the surgery and they needed the ICU bed. So It was pretty emotional as we waited and waited and then they actually sent us home. So we had to come back to Adelaide. Yeah, we came back to Adelaide and it was pretty horrific not knowing each day if we would get the call up to go back again or what would happen and was Sarah going to be okay in the meantime and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, fortunately, because I'm a teacher, I had the Christmas holidays. So we were able to keep her out of childcare and keep her relatively safe and healthy so she didn't catch anything. Or Gosh, that must have been incredibly stressful to know. And I suppose we've shared with listeners before that here, if you have CHD in Adelaide or in South Australia or Northern Territory, and obviously other parts of regional Australia, 
we travel to the Royal Children's Hospital. So I very much relate to getting the call, packing. I can't believe you are over there. And as you know, that pre-surgery, all the stuff that you need to do and you wait and you wait. And then to come home, oh my goodness, that would have been so difficult to process. It was very stressful and we'd taken our in-laws over to help with our son and they couldn't stay in Australia any longer so they had to return back to the UK. So it was quite a stressful time for us and then we got the call up in January. So we went back over in January and that time we decided not to take our son. So He stayed with my mum, grandma back in Adelaide and myself and Sarah's dad went over to support her and everything that time just went so smoothly. And as you know, it's not a pleasant thing to experience, but there was a lot of peace. Like I could really be present with Sarah and just be there with her and for her. And not have to worry about other people and, yeah, like you said, yeah. just to be present. Yeah. She's pretty amazing. She was, I think it was the third or fourth day she wanted to get onto the bike and I had to. Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm pushing around. And it wouldn't have been the third day. It must have been about a week later. But she wanted to go around the hospital and get on the little bike that they had and she'd probably take go about a couple of metres and she'd have to go back to bed and sleep. But she was rearing to go. Yeah. Wow. Clearly. She tells me that she remembers a lot of it and she says she told me the other day she has vivid memories and then she sort of has a gap in memories and then she remembers when she was about eight. So Yeah, it was pretty significant for her in her life as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I know I speak to obviously many people and their their children are babies or they're under one or they've just been born, but there's something else to say about when they're like, what, almost a three-nager and clearly driven and for them they just keep on keeping on, don't they? Like, I'm a child, my job is to play and I need to hop on this bike. (laughs) Yes. Even though I've just had open heart surgery. (laughs) Yes, yeah. So you're a heart mum, as we would call in our little village. So you're a heart mum, you have a heart kid or a heart child and now you're helping so many families, obviously, with their own paths and things like that. So has that played a big part in like your personal life? Has your personal life filtered in to your professional life with what you've experienced? I think so. I think it's given me an empathy for parents, especially for those with extra needs, because I see how differently life can be in a family Mm. when you do have a child. Well, it could be anything really. It doesn't have to just be a heart condition. It gives a perspective, an understanding, I think. It's helped me, you know, really get down to how can we help this particular child. And mostly in preschool, it's about the family because the child always comes with the family. The families are their first educators. So how do we work in partnership with this family to get the best for this child? Mm. And I suppose this is where I have to disclose that 
Catherine was our son, Frank, who's a CHD or a heart kid, who also has an AVSD. So Catherine was our kindy director at the school that we went to. And I'll never forget meeting you because prior, as soon as you say the word, and I'm sure there'll be other parents listening relate, as soon as they hear the word heart condition, you see whoever you're talking to, and usually obviously it's an educator or someone as part of the leadership team or administration team when you're filling out that form to get into kindy, you see their face just drop and then you stumble as a parent by saying, oh, don't worry, they're not going to go into heart failure. <laughs> and then you see them almost drive reach because the word heart failure, as we know in the community, it's not immediate. And we've had to learn that because the first time we heard the term heart failure, you think, oh my gosh, you think heart attack. But as we know, heart failure is obviously a gradual process. I'm not pretending to be a doctor for a moment. But I know that when we spoke to you straight away, you obviously, you didn't share immediately, but you definitely shared that, like you just said, that compassion and gave that understanding. And I felt safe because I felt I could see and I could sense the fear in the other educators that they looked at Frank and thought, oh gosh, no, 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 no. And I thought the really wonderful thing that you did was obviously you brought ease to myself and my husband's mind. You brought ease. And then I'll never forget, I'm not sure if you remember this, but it was a few weeks in and you said to me, how would you feel if we did a session in kindy about an ambulance and what happens if an ambulance comes so that I think also too for your colleagues and for the children to know that an ambulance coming didn't have to be a scary thing, that it could also be a really helpful and wonderful thing. And I'll never forget that, Catherine, because for me, now I'm going to try not to get emotional, but for me, that was a really big moment because I felt like you stepped into our world. And sometimes, you know, as a parent, you feel very isolated. And I felt you just bridged that gap for us by saying, no, no, like your world is still safe in this world. And that was huge. Do you remember that at all? I don't remember that, but I do remember an experience with Sarah when Heart Kids held a picnic and they had an ambulance there. Uh, and just being able to explore the ambulance and look through the ambulance and it made such a difference to her and to me as well as a mum. And then later Sarah actually having to go to the hospital in an ambulance, she was familiar with the idea of it, the concept, and it didn't bring so much fear to her. So I'm wondering if that time, that's what I was channeling. No, but isn't that funny? You were just doing, realistically, you were probably just thinking, oh, I'm just doing my job. But for me, I remember it vividly. I remember the conversation. I remember everything and just thinking, oh my gosh, someone actually wants to bridge the gap between, well, as you know, navigating CHD in the medical system. And then you then have to now navigate CHD in the education system. And the education system is a beast. You know know it much better and intimately than what I do. But sometimes you feel like you need to tick a box and sometimes you just can't. I just remember that moment as that bridging moment. So, But I suppose that really leads in, like what are some of your tips for people listening with children with CHD or any sort of complexity? What are some of your tips around starting school? Sure. Well, there's just some general tips for all children starting school or starting preschool or something new. 
And one of the biggest things that supports the child for a a good transition is to just become familiar with the new school environment. So spending time playing in the playground, exploring the areas, looking where the toilets are, just navigating your way through the school if you can, on weekends and after school and things like that, go and kick the ball, that sort of thing. Just become familiar with the environment. It makes a big difference to all children when they're starting school. And another thing that I see a lot of is parents really expressing their stress or anxiety about their child starting school. So you've got to remember that your child co-regulates with you. So that means regulation or self-regulation is the way that you control yourself. So you might be feeling hungry, but you know you've got a meeting, so you need to just put that feeling aside and get on with your meeting. That's like a self-regulation skill. But children, they're not quite developed to do that by themselves. So they look to the parent for support and to co-regulate. So do your best to remain calm and speak positively about school because they're looking always to you, that concept of the circle of security, to know that everything's going to be all right. So if you can do that and keep calm, that would be great. You've got to cry in the car after they've gone to school. (laughs) (laughs) Keep that for the car and the coffee shop on the way out the door. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They're wonderful, wonderful tips. Then what would you say then to a heart parent? Like you just said, it's a big transition, isn't it, for children to either go from home or childcare to then start it at kindy and at school. So then, like you just said, it's that co-regulation, keeping things in check, but then you've also got a heart kid. Yes. Like what are some of your suggestions around, I don't know, communicating that with educators? Because you can see it from both perspectives, which is amazing. So it's really important to set up a transition meeting with the school, talk to the principal or the deputy, maybe a wellbeing coordinator, And if you could do that one or two terms prior to your child starting school, and you can involve other professionals in that meeting as well. So if your child has OT or speech or there might be a report from cardiology, a plan that you've got, anything that will help the school to gain a picture of what your child needs. Sometimes schools are busy places. I would still keep trying to have that meeting well in advance. If your child goes to childcare or preschool, you could ask the director or the leader there to set up a a meeting so that if they have information, they can pass that on. But it's really important to have that initial meeting and just really keep the lines of communication open all the time. There's lots of things that schools have to do for compliance. So there'll be forms to fill out, paperwork. These are things to keep 
your child protected, but it also keeps the teacher protected to make sure that they are following a plan properly. So a healthcare plan, those sorts of documents. You might need to go to the doctor and have those plans signed off by a GP or by your cardiologist. So that's why it's a good idea to have these meetings early on. You know how hard it is to get into a doctor at the moment. You can be prepared, have everything ready. Check in with the teachers. They might have questions. Like you said before, it's pretty scary to hear the word heart condition or heart failure or... I know it's not your job to be emotionally supporting teachers, but it can help if you do have an empathy for their job as well and know that they might not just have one child with CHD, they might have a few or they might have children with diabetes or other things. Or epilepsy or something, yeah. Yeah, some complex children in their class. So they really need to be able to ask you some open questions, I think, to ease their mind. Yeah, I think really, really sage advice. And I suppose that's the thing that we are in a world now where we require, not require, we need compliance. And a part of that compliance obviously is huge. It's a huge component of the education system. That That's great advice. So really you're basically saying we all know when our child more than likely is going to start school by age. So what you're basically saying is prepare, have copy of reports. If there's reports you need in advance or even at least reach out to the school and say, what will I be requiring? Like you said, because you're so true to get into a GP at the moment or to your cardiologist. Like majority of us have our cardiology dates set in advance. We don't usually get a choice in that, especially in the public system, probably in private as well. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, That makes a lot of sense and it is hard and I suppose wonderful to hear it from your perspective being a mum and a teacher because you're right, if you hear the word <laughs> like I saw, oh, he's got a heart condition, that's okay. I remember actually saying, that's okay. I think I must have said something like, he's not in heart failure or he's not in heart failure yet. And then I literally remember her face draining of colour and I looked like I must have had just a, yeah, a big exit sign on my back like please like I don't think we can help you yeah I think it's really good to communicate about have those open lines of communication open around sicknesses and illnesses as well because I know that a lot of children with CHD a common cold or Mm. things like that can really get them down and so if you have established a good relationship and you let them know up front the the school and the teacher the teacher will be able to let you know oh there's been some sniffles or there's some gastro going around or you know that sort of thing too so that you can be prepared to look after your child as well so yeah communication really is the key and just really be prepared to meet on more than one occasion I think you will have to keep going and updating and reviewing plans over time as well if your situation changes. So are the plans, are they something that we need to be looking at like every 12 months? Like is there a bit of a rule of thumb with education? Does something need to be done? Like is it at the start of every year, at the end of every year, or how does it work? Yeah, absolutely. In the education department in South Australia, we would review every 12 months and especially if there's medication involved and things like that. So that would be really important. And there might also be 
extra communication and extra forms, documents around excursions or school camps as well. So, yeah, always updating and giving the teacher and the school any notification to changes coming up. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So Sarah is now how old? She's 13 and it's funny because we're going back to Melbourne this weekend for a family event and it's the first time I've been able to go back there in 10 years. So yeah, it's a bit of a moment actually. We're going to go and visit the hospital and check it out together and have a coffee there. And Yeah, wow. Yeah, have a bit of a chat and talk about old times, I guess, hopefully yeah, in a positive way this time. That sounds very cathartic. So she's at high school? She's just started high school, yes. Wow. So as an educator, but now as also as a parent, you're now navigating high school with a heart kid. So how are you finding that? I found it actually much simpler than primary school. Good I'm to know. Sure, Thank you. Yeah, I'm not sure if the teachers are more aware or maybe they're just focused on subjects so much not so much the other side of things but it has been much easier to navigate for sure and how do you help Sarah process that in the for her now obviously going from I suppose it's a bit of a safety cocoon net isn't it primary school to then going into high school how how have you helped her in obviously talking to her peers about her condition So she has spoken about her scars and how other peers notice and they make comments and things like that. So we've really got into that space, and I guess because she's now a teenager, of really accepting her image and her body. So she recently had a swimming carnival. Oh, gosh, yep. Yeah, so it is quite new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uh, it's quite new because she'd been with her primary school class for a very long time and yeah so it has been something that we've had to navigate and really we just talk about these sorts of things and she's pretty mature Sarah in terms of her worldview so I think she's getting there she's okay but she's pretty upfront and she does answer the questions that her peers ask her with she's quite a storyteller so she'll tell them all about it Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And so obviously Heart Kids is a big part of your village, my village. So how do you feel about, you know, like I know that when I approach a new school, I haven't done it with my daughter's new school because she's just started high school too, but I can't wait to get in there and tell them about Sweetheart's Day (laughs) and make sure that that goes pops on the calendar. How is that received? Like from your perspective, like I know how I feel wanting to obviously advocate and champion that awareness, but how is that received within the education system? Well, when I'm teaching, I've always advocated for days like that where you're opening up the awareness for your community, Heroes Day, dressing up, things like that. Within the high school system, I think it is a little harder because Mm -hmm. they have set days and I think it's a good way to advocate is around, you know, getting on the committees for fundraising fundraising, or whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all of that sort of stuff. That's what I'm finding in high school. But in primary school, there's lots of avenues and 
it can be within a class or it can be the whole school. I've always found it's very welcoming to be able to even join into other things that are going on, sports day, stuff like that, having a fundraiser for Heart Kids. I think high school, I'm learning that you need to be on a committee or you need to be in some way connected to the school in order to promote these types of have that sort of influence on the fundraising. So basically you're saying primary school is where it's at. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to champion Sweethearts Day or be a hero for Heart Kids, primary school and early learning is where it's at. Absolutely. I think there's more of a community village in the early years, yeah. In the early years. So a lot of your tips today really comes down to that key thing, which is communication. Obviously, you've talked about communicating early, keeping the communication lines open um, so that you can update if there's anything else that's going on. And I suppose it does boil down to communication going both ways. Like I love how you brought in the fact that if you establish that communication relationship early on, that I suppose can be your best avenue in keeping your child healthy. Because like you said, if the teacher knows that, oh gosh, we've just had two cases of gastro, little heads up. I think that's really, really wonderful advice. Is there anything else that you'd like to share that's important in being an advocate for your child with the education, that education journey? I think as a parent, there's an element of acceptance that you will have to advocate for your child. I think it's important to accept that this is the journey that you're on and that there will be times throughout your child's educational journey that you will have to go in and advocate for their needs. So sort of taking that on with acceptance and a knowing that that will be part of your journey as a parent will stand you in good stead and prepare you for the future. Wonderful. Beautiful, wise words. Well, thank you, Catherine. Thank you so much for, yeah, joining us while you're out there working with regional families and taking the time to share with us your journey as an educator, but also too as a heart parent. Thank you. My pleasure. Sometimes this podcast talks about some heavy things. If this brings up anything for you or someone you love, it is important to reach out for support. The Heart Kids Helpline provides support and guidance for anyone impacted by CHD. You can call the helpline on 1800 432 785. To access more information about CHD, as well as support from Heart Kids, visit the website at heartkids.org.au. The information on this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice from your doctor or healthcare team. Always talk to your doctor about matters that affect you or your family's health. 